Good morning, friends. My name is Katie. I'm so grateful to be with you here today. I have the privilege of continuing through this series that we've been going through called Along the Way, where we are talking about the values that Jesus shared and exercised. It has already been so powerful. Uh, The first week we talked about the way of the vine and staying connected to God. Last week we talked about the way of the towel and the value of serving. And today we're going to talk about the way of the child. And I learned that there's a movie or a show, I guess, about the child this, we're not talking about Star Wars. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that was a thing. You learn something new every day. Uh, but we're going to talk about the way of the child and the, the value of depending on God. But before we get started, I really wanted to take the opportunity, since we're talking about the way of the child, to share some photos of our staff team when they were kids. Because why would I miss this opportunity? Who would do that? So uh, these are our location pastors. Up in the top corner with the basketball is Pastor Chris Swartout from West Location. West, can you give him a round of applause? <laughs> Adorable Chris Swartout with the basketball. I was going to make an Iowa joke, but my team didn't even get into the NCAA tournament, so I'm not going to go too far with that. Uh, pastor Todd is our East Location pastor. East Location, I hope that you give him a round of applause right now. Please, 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 we'll clap for him too. Uh, Pastor Josh Harris is down in this corner. I don't want to walk too far over. Um, uh, He's down there. Uh, So Pastor Josh is our downtown location pastor. He also oversees all of our communications. So downtown, we're going to clap for him too. Give him a round of applause. And then finally, Pastor Kevin, he is our online location pastor. So if you're online, it's not weird. Clap in your living room or in your camper or wherever you are. Uh, So these these are four of our team members. I've got a few more. I sound like an infomercial. Wait, there's more. Uh, Pastor Heidi, she shared just a couple weeks ago. She is our next-gen pastor. She shared about honor in families a couple weeks ago, and today is her birthday. Uh, But she is on the sweet little horse with with the cowboy hat. Yay. Uh, And then Kim, uh, Kim is, if you ever come visit us during the week, Kim is the beautiful smiling face that you will see at the front desk. And uh, she is incredible. She also leads our Celebrate Recovery Ministry, so I thought you should see her. And then to close out the photo time, Uh, a trio of Canaans. I thought that you should see David in, that is the most 1980s shirt. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, So David in the 80s, uh, yay. And then uh, the middle one is me and I'm holding a cat. I love cats. I just feel like I should say that. (laughs) Because... (laughs) I grew up out in the country. I used to use my allowance money to feed the cats. So when David first came to my parents' farm, there were so many cats that I had to remind him that we were already engaged. And like, you can't, you can't run now. And we lived on a dirt road and he didn't know how to get to the highway. So it was fine. But that's me holding a cat like the Lion King. Do you see me? And then the third one is Bo, because when we talk about the way of the child, we're going to walk through a lot of stuff today. But I just felt like you should know. I was a child once, and this is my reality. Bo, um, he is just really assertive, and if he wants something, he's going to get it. So I'm in the kitchen cooking, and I can't get, he wants the whipped cream because he wants to like, you know, like spray it in his mouth. So he just climbed into the fridge. This is our life right now, guys. Uh, so I thought you should see that we are keenly aware when we talk about the way of the child 
Um, we've got a lot of that going on in our house right now, so I thought it was maybe worth showing you. Um, he's got his boots on. It was a sunny day. This is just our life. So I thought, it was, I thought it was important to show you. So photo time is over, but I think it's important to talk about too. Do you know when we're kids, we think a lot about how amazing it would be to be an adult. Did you ever do that? Did you ever think about how amazing it would be to get to drive wherever you wanted to drive, right when you wanted to drive there? I grew up on a farm, so I started driving when I was like eight. But on the actual roads, I thought that would be really great. Um, getting to eat cereal for supper, I thought a lot about that. And I also couldn't wait to be an adult because I thought it would be so amazing to be really tall. That didn't work out for me so well. <laughs> I have a step stool in just about every room in our house to be able to reach tall things. But those were the things I thought about when I was a kid. I always thought about how amazing it would be to be an adult. And when we're adults, don't we think a lot about how incredible it would be to get to be a kid again? I think a lot about naps. I just turned 40, and if you ever see me during the week, no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I can promise you that I'm thinking about how amazing it would be to take a nap. I promise you. Like, and you can even say, are you thinking about a nap right now? And I would say, I am. I have been since I woke up. Thank you very much. <laughs> I also think about how amazing it would be everywhere Bo goes. He has like a fanny pack of goldfish crackers. I think about how amazing it would be to be a kid again because somebody's always got snacks for me. Like I would always be able to have fruit snacks or goldfish. I guess we can do that, but it's not as socially acceptable maybe for adults. No bills, no worries. We think a lot about how amazing it would be to be a kid again. One of the best things about a child is their boundless creativity and their willingness to learn new things. There was a longitudinal study Several years ago, it was done by Head Start. Longitudinal, I'm, I'm, I was a history teacher. So longitudinal is this way. Latitude is this way. I, that's not in my notes, but I'm just going to tell you. Longitudinal study. That means that they're looking at people. They're studying people over the course, the same people over the course of a few years to see how their behaviors and their patterns and their choices change. So they did a longitudinal study on a group of kids to study creativity there were two types of thinking that they looked at. They looked at convergent thinking and divergent thinking. So convergent thinking is the ability to correctly answer a question that does not require creativity. It's rational, it's logical, it's analytical. One plus one is two. Okay. Divergent thinking is the ability to generate creative ideas by exploring possible solutions. It is intuitive, innovative, artistic. It's thinking outside of the box. So take a paperclip. Um, I'm an office supply junkie. I always have paperclips and post-it notes if you ever need them. Uh, but a paperclip, the average person can probably rattle off 10 to 15 uses. I, I actually only have two or three. And two or three of them are like breaking into things. And so that's probably not good. But paperclip. Uh, most of us can come up with 10 to 15 uses for a paperclip. A divergent thinker, an out-of-the-box thinker, can think of over 200 uses for a paperclip. Kids are expert divergent thinkers, experts. I think that our kids have always found a million unintended uses for all kinds of things. They're so creative, and they're teachable, and they're always thinking. Sometimes it's terrifying, but they do it. So in this study, they found that 98% of children ages 3 to 5 scored in the genius category for creative or divergent thinking, 98%. Five years later, those same children only scored 32% as expert divergent thinkers. That number plummeted, right, in only five years. 
Five years after that, so 10 years after the original study, those kids are now 13 to 15, and only 10% of them were considered divergent or creative thinking on the expert level. Uh, adults over the age of 25, only 2% of us are expert divergent thinkers. I'm not one of them. I'm very much a convergent thinker. So what happened? How did they go from almost 100% all the way down to 10% in just a matter of 10 years? Hold on to that thought. Um, according to research, kids ask around 125 questions a day. I actually thought that it would be more, right? Where do boogers come from? Why is the sky blue? Where is the bathroom? Can I have a snack? Are we there yet? On and on and on, right? Adults, on average, only ask six questions per day. Wild. Somewhere, we've lost 119 questions a day. I would say that we really lose childlike wonder, that holy curiosity that is innate in the way of the child. As a parent, I'd be okay if there were a few less questions, though. Did you know that kids laugh around 150 times a day? That's a lot. It's beautiful, right? That's way better than the questions, I think. The stats for adults are admittedly all over the map because it depends on who you're asking and how their day has gone and yada, yada, yada. But some trusted research says that adults laugh an average of 17 and a half times a day, which means that's a, that's a loss of 132.5 laughs. I don't know where that half laugh is coming from. I'm guessing it might be like a, a chuckle at a dad joke or something. I'm looking at my husband because... I have a lot of 0.5 laughs throughout the day. Um, <laughs> but I would say that we really lose that childlike joy. We lose that holy sense of humor that is innate in the way of a child. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. And it literally is. Laughter releases dopamine. It's a natural painkiller, and it helps us rest and recover from the side effects of stress. It's like an emotional release valve. There are big differences that develop within us as we grow. Do we stop being curious? Do we stop living with joy? Maybe not, but it definitely changes, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, before we start, though, one thing that I want to remind us of, we may already know, but I think it's important that I remind you, about Jesus. Jesus loves kids. He loves them. While throughout Scripture, most everyone else was shooing them away, Jesus, over and over again, called the children to him. Here's an example in Matthew 19, 14. He says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Just like the way of the vine and the way of the towel, there are valuable lessons that Jesus wants to teach us through the way of the child. And we're going to start in a place that is one of my favorite sermons in all of Scripture that Jesus gave, and it's in Matthew chapter 18. Let's take a look. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He, Jesus, called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The word little child in the original language would have meant an infant or a toddler. By all accounts, a very small, helpless kiddo. In our Western society, children are viewed as very important. They're valued. But here in first century Judaism, they were not. They couldn't fight. They couldn't lead. They hadn't had time to acquire worldly riches or wisdom. 
They counted for very little. So knowing that, I can't help but think about all of the people listening to Jesus. Who is the greatest Jesus, he's asked. And he brings a child to the middle of the group. I can't help but think that they were going, are you crazy, Jesus? The greatest is a baby, and you're telling us to be like a baby. I don't think Jesus was saying to cover yourself up in peanut butter and jelly and cry all the time. I think he was, wasn't talking about embracing all that is childish. As I read the text, I see that Jesus is paralleling two ways of living, using the disciples and the child to point us all to his way. One is childish, and the other is childlike. So how are they different? One note here, though, that I want to tell you, because if you're digging into the Bible and you're looking at commentaries, often theologians, when they're talking about this, this sermon, this chunk of Scripture, they just go on and on and on about how incredible children are. They're so thoughtful. They forgive easily. They've got a lot of joy. And all of that is true. But we know that kids can also be kind of little monsters, right? Like, we all know that, right? They're not, like, perfect all the time. So we're going we're gonna to look at childlike versus childish. So childish, acting like a child, acting up. It's the negative qualities of a child. Stubborn and defensive, negative, irrational. Bo climbing into the fridge. He actually did that yesterday and fell out of the fridge. So, like, childish, right? Trying to get to the front of the line. Childish. On the flip side, childlike. It's becoming like a child, recapturing those redeeming qualities of joy, honesty, gentleness, being pure of heart, having humility and trust, a dependence on God. Let's look at verse 1 again. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So for some context here, the chapter before, in chapter 17 of Matthew, Jesus has just told his disciples for a second time that it's nearing the time where he's going to go. For a second time, he tells them he won't be around for much longer. Their response here is mind-blowing because instead of grieving, they're arguing over who is first, who is next in line. It would be like if you had a friend come home from the doctor and say, I have a week to live, and your response was, oh, what a bummer, man. Um, who's going to get your car? Like... Who's, which one of us gets the house? Um, the disciples are convinced, even after all this time with Jesus, that the kingdom he's speaking of is here on earth. They don't think he's going anywhere, and they can't understand. And I'm not sure we would either. They believe Jesus has come to earth to launch a coup d'etat, okay? He's going to overthrow the government, and they are trying to get in front of each other for cabinet positions. They're vying for cabinet positions. Who's going to be uh, the secretary of state? Who's going to be the vice president? They're like a political party in primary season. They're climbing over each other for power and hoping they've done enough to get to the top. And I think that sounds a lot like the world we live in today, right? So much pressure to keep pace with everyone else, to produce, to make things happen. I thought that a chart would be good because Jesus was calling the disciples then, and he's calling us now to a life of relying on him. The child that he calls to him is the essence of this. They can't do anything on their own. So a chart. I think a chart is so good. So let's look. The disciples were being childish. They were looking for power and position. Where do I get to be? How much have I done? How important am I? It's marked by arrogance, me first. And it's involving taking matters into their own hands. They're bypassing what Jesus is really telling them because all they're thinking of 
is, what, is where they're going to be and what they want. Childlike, on the flip side, is recognizing that they don't have power or position. It's marked by humility and a dependence, a reliance. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Jesus here in Matthew is helping us walk out what Paul says later on, that while our worldly definition of maturity is demonstrated with decreased dependency on others, we have an 18-year-old, he's getting ready to graduate in May, who... Uh, I won't talk about that too much or else I'll just start crying and then it's going to become a whole different service. Um, but but the, the older he gets, the more he's able to go do on his own, right? He actually runs errands for us a lot, which has been amazing. But decreased dependency with every age that he grows. Um, that's, that's the worldly definition. Heaven's definition of maturity, though, in Christ is demonstrated with increased dependence The more we're able to see and do in Christ, the more we need his guidance, his help. The ways of childhood that Paul is talking about are our childish tendencies, our preferences, our pursuit of being first. We are called to be childlike. So what happens in the space between child and adult? How do we lose this childlike posture? I don't think it's just because we get too busy. I think as we grow, we really lose some of the elements of being a child that make life fun and make life good. We start letting go of and losing touch of who we really are and what we really want. And instead of following our God-ordained desires that move us in the direction of who he's called us to be, that voice of joy and individuality is drowned out by the voice of conformity. I need to be like everybody else. I want to be better than everybody else so I can prove that I'm enough. We long to be valued by people, and we forget that God has told us we already are. It may have started the first time you were excluded from a group or rejected by a friend, made fun of or had your feelings hurt. It could have been when you were uh, dreaming of something to do with your life, and that totally fell apart. Like maybe you wanted to play college basketball, and you were way too short, and you weren't good at shooting the ball into the goal like me. Okay. Uh, Maybe it came in the form of abuse or trauma. It could have been in early elementary, maybe not until your high school years. But whatever it was, it started to move you away from that excited, hope-filled, and creative, curious, trusting heart of a child and into someone way more closed off. And it probably never stopped, right? That happened early on in Scripture, too. I want to take you to Genesis. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they've sinned. Their entire understanding of who they are and what uh, the world looks like has been tipped over on its head. It reminds me of the first time I remember that there was a lot of pain in the world, and I also realized that the pain in the world, the the struggles, hadn't just started. I just started paying attention. Um, They're full of shame. They started covering themselves up. 
And in that moment, they stopped depending on God, and they started depending on themselves. They started to try to fit in, to conform. I imagine layers and layers of leaves because they didn't want anything to show. Then God says something, with what I can only imagine is deep hurt in his voice. Like a loving parent when a child feels sad or shame or is hiding. Don't we want the people we love to come to us when they mess up or when things don't go well? I imagine the pain in his voice as he asks them, who told you that you were naked? In other words, who told you that you were ugly? Who told you that you were weird? Who told you that you had too many problems for them to stay? Who told you that you were too much, that you weren't enough? Who told you that you didn't matter by ignoring you or withholding love from you? Who told you that you couldn't do it? Who told you that you weren't pretty, that you were too fat or too skinny? Who told you that you'd never measure up? Who told you that you'd never be loved? Who told you? Not God, because he is and always will be for you. Over and over again, we see in Scripture how he calls us his children, made in his image. He has rescued us, and he loves us. I want to remind you of something that comes in Romans, and uh, we're going to read the message version because it just so beautifully captures this. This resurrection life you have received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. As we walk through life, though, from early ages, the world starts handing us stuff that we don't really want to hold, but we can't really help but pick it up and carry it, right? We become people pleasers. We become workaholics. We build walls and emotionally shut down. We become shells of who we were made to be. We become competitive and callous, trying to prove that we're enough. We become like the disciples. We become childish. How do we find that childlike dependence again? Have you ever lost your car keys? Is that a bad... So I only have one key for my car, and you need to know that it's terrifying. I guess when I'm not thinking of naps, I'm thinking about where my car key is. I don't know. Uh, What do you do when you lose your car keys, or anything, really? You go to the last place you remember having them, right? Which always ends up being kind of a loop-de-loop around the whole world. But what about your joy? What about your curiosity, your childlike dependence on God? When was the last place you remember having them? I want to tell you that the answer is all of the following things. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time reading the Bible. Spend time praying. Spend time working through your trauma and your hurts with a professional. Go love others and help them too. All of that is good stuff to do. And and it will be part of becoming childlike and depending on the Lord again. Um, But I think there's one thing, one place that you need to start. And before we go there, I want to read you a quote. Benjamin Zander says, How often do we stand convinced of the truth of our early childhood memories, forgetting that they are but assessments made by a child. If you remember wrong, you live a lie. Part of becoming like a child is unpacking your past. It's reverse engineering the lies, the hurts, the prejudices, the false assumptions that we have made about ourselves and other people and about God himself. And it's connecting the dots and seeing the way that God has worked in our past 
to prepare us for such a time as this, for such a place as this. It starts with one moment of reaching out to God. We stop taking the walks in the park, like, or walks in the garden, like Adam and Eve, and we've started taking our life into our own hands. One of the most thought-provoking questions in the Gospels is this. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is in Jericho with his disciples, and as they were leaving, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. His name was Bartimaeus. We're going to take a look at this story. In Mark 10, when, they, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. In one sense, the question feels a little unnecessary, right? Like if Bo comes to me and I can smell him, I don't need to ask if he needs a diaper change, right? Like I know. Um, more seriously, though, Bartimaeus can't see. What would he ask of Jesus if he could? We can all guess his answer, right? He wants sight, of course. But Jesus asks the question anyway, and the answer is simple. Jesus wants to know what we want. What do you want? You will probably have a hard time answering this question. I think we're often out of touch with what we really want. Bartimaeus shows the essence of childlikeness, though. He'd had enough, and he was ready to depend on God like it was all he had. What if he would have listened to the others telling him to stop? What if he would have cared more about what they thought? What if he decided to just take matters into his own hands and figure it out on his own and not make a scene? He trusted, he was humble, he depended on the Lord like it was all he had. We've got to start to tell God what we really want. Do you have a childlike dependence on God? If you do, then keep going and help others get it. If you don't, I want to talk to you about it. Part of the freedom and joy of being childlike is that little children are not carrying the weight of this world, and we're not supposed to either. That's not something that immediately changes when we get a little older. Um, that sweet little picture of me that you saw in the beginning of me, Lion King, holding the cat, you know what's funny? If you look at pictures of yourself when you're little, I don't know if you even remember that moment. I don't remember the moment that picture, I remember the cat. I loved that cat, but I don't, remember, I don't remember the moment that that picture was taken. I don't know what we were doing or where we were going or whatever. Um, I don't even know that person, right? But it's me. There was so much that we walked through, so much hard stuff. There's good stuff too, but from a small and early age, I started holding on to way more than I should have, and it started changing who I was. A few years ago, I came to the point that Bartimaeus did, and I realized that I was caring way more than I wanted to, and it was changing who I was. So I started spending time with God and asked him, how do I start letting go of this stuff? And you need to know, though, so a lot of times this happens in our quiet times, right? Um, I've never had a quiet time in my life. If you know me well, you know that I make coffee nervous. Like, I am always on the go, right? So mine isn't this beautiful corner chair with a lamp at 5.30 in the morning, just like having a moment. 
I started by going and hiking in the hills and getting up to the top of something and sitting on a rock and just spending time with the Lord, letting him know that I was done carrying all that I was carrying. I wanted to stop living my life like this, where I was just going into it with walls up and defenses on, and I wanted to start living in a way that was open-handed. And a lot of that involved me working through so many of the hurts and the trauma and just the things that I had gone through and that I had started picking up and trying to handle on my own. And I want that for you too. I want you to have that freedom. Do you have a childlike dependence with God? It's a lifelong process, but that's the fun. I want you to know, I brought this up here because part of my wanting to like be childlike, I bought tambourine shoes. Do you see these? This is just one of them. I'm not going to put them on. I promised my children that I would not wear them. Um, I carry these around in my car with me. I don't wear them a lot. So if you invite me out to eat, I'm not going to put them on, okay? But part of it was me literally recapturing the fun of life and enjoying all that there is. But I had to, like, loosen my grip on the things that I wasn't supposed to carry. And through that, God has brought a community of people to help me walk it out, and I get to help them walk it out. And my time with him is less about me working through all this stuff that I needed to go through, and more of me sitting every day going, Lord, help me turn it over to you today. And at the end of the day going, how did I do? Turning it over to you. What am I still trying to carry? Lord, thank you for walking with me today. I want you to have a childlike dependence with God too. He's got you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the way that you see us. I thank you that each and every one of us is different, that we have something to bring into this world that nobody else has. And Father, I pray that um, as we walk through life, even from an early age, Lord, and start trying to be like everybody else, um, starting to move away from that unique, creative, different person, Father, and try to look like everybody else, Lord, that you would help us to remember who we are in you and that you have called us to something that requires all of those unique pieces to be able to bring into the world and show people who you are, to bring love and encouragement. Father, you have called us to be just a diverse group of people with our likes and dislikes and the way that we can minister to people. Father, I pray that you would help us to recapture those things. And Lord, if we're holding on to things that we're not supposed to, uh, trauma, abuse, maybe just remembering the first time we were rejected and we just can't get over it, Lord. I remember some of those moments early on in my childhood where someone wasn't nice. And Father, you want to take those and free us from living a life with our arms up, closed off, and you want us to walk into the world with our arms open, Lord. Not just so that we can have healing and peace, Lord, but so that we can bring that to others in your name. Father, the way of the child is dependence on you. It is focused on knowing that we cannot, we should not do everything on our own, Lord, that you want to walk with us to encourage us and equip us and love us so that we can go help all of those people have uh, those things too. Father, I just pray that you would give us the courage, like Bartimaeus, to say, help me, here's what I want. Father, I pray that for everybody this week. And if we've already walked through that and we have uh, come out on the other side, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to those around us that could use some help walking through stuff. 
Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the privilege it is to be called your sons and daughters. Father, to be made uniquely in your image like no one else. Thank you. We love you. Amen.